so glad to see you guys here today. Thank you for being here, for making the choice to be present. And there's something special about worshiping God together with others. Amen? We thank our worship leaders and our team for, for leading us as well. We are going to be spending many weeks, probably 10 if you think about it, in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. So uh, today is an important one, and, and uh, David mentioned that. The sermon is entitled, Who's Number One? If we can't answer that question, well, there's no other questions really to worry about and answering. So you'll want to turn to Exodus chapter 20. We'll look at the first few verses here. You know, I've observed something. There are two kinds of people in life. All right, are you listening? Because you're one of them. I want to find out who's who. There's two kinds of people in life, those who follow instructions and those who don't. So let's find out right now. How many of you are the people that follow instructions? And now watch the smiles on faces now. How many are, of you are those who don't? Come on. So you people that don't, when you go to Ikea and buy something, good luck. Because there is a lot of instructions with no words and all those pieces of furniture to put together. Have you ever gotten yourself into trouble? You think, I got this, and I'll go ahead and do it. There's 18 steps. I, you know, I think I got it. I, I know most of them. And you end up with a few screws left. Or for some of you, maybe a few screws loose. I don't know. I, yes. So do you read the instruction manual, or do you just jump in? Interesting. Well, let me tell you something about our God. He, he is the master designer. He is the architect of everything. Do you know who that includes? Humans. He is the master designer, architect of everything, including humans. And he has not just mixed up all the parts of humanity into this orb called planet Earth and simply said, let's see what you can make of it. No instructions, no manual, just take a shot. That's not who our God is. He wouldn't be much of a designer or architect, would he? Listen, he has, if you hear anything today, hear this. He has, he had and has a design for how society is supposed to function. Did you know that? He had and has a design for how families are supposed to function. And he had and has a design for how his people are supposed to function. Over 3,500 years ago, God gave his people a blueprint, instructions, an instruction manual for life. Not just for life, for behavior, not just for behavior, but for ordering our lives and ordering our relationships for how to be his people. You get confused, get a little foggy, you get wondering. Go back to the manual and see what God has said to us. Yet almost from the beginning. Here's the problem. And you guys know. Anybody read the book of Genesis in the last 50 years? Come on, right? Yeah. You know what the problem is, don't you? The problem is this. From almost the very beginning, we've been told we don't need God. In fact, we were told what? We can and should be like God. Do you remember when that first happened? That was the first big lie that we find in the Bible. Satan giving that lie to Adam and Eve. Oh, you can be like God. It's so different than what 
we're looking at today. We've been living with those consequences ever since. Today, we're going to look at step one of the instruction book. It's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. We've entitled the sermon series, Written in Stone, God's Top Ten. And we look at number one today. Here's the thing about the first commandment. The first commandment sets straight the truth about who God is and who God isn't. All the other commandments flow out of this one. Hear me, church, be careful. We must get the first commandment right or we can't get the other nine correct. All the other commandments flow out of this first one. We will never have our relationships with others right until we have our relationship right with God. Did you hear that? I want you to hear that. Man, there are so many relationship gurus out there. Are you aware of that? There are many, so many conferences we can go to. There's so many articles we can read. There's so many shows we can watch, books, all those kind of things. If we don't get our relationship right with the one true God, our relationships with others won't be right. And I testify that today. When my relationships have been messed up, it's because my relationship with God has been messed up. Would anybody agree with that? Are you transparent enough to admit that today? It's true, isn't it? And we know better, but we're still dealing with those consequences, aren't we? And we still have to work at that and redouble our efforts. So let's look at uh, uh, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Funny, I am reading my Bible readings, and just these last two days, guess what I got to exactly? I went back to one where you do a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament, a little bit of Psalm, Proverbs. Just got through reading about the 430 years and the plagues and all that and how they came out. So look, he reminds them of that because they're already out now. And he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And then we get to number one, verse three. Do not have other gods besides me. Now I find it interesting in my uh, translation. Uh, translations are fine, okay? They're English, all right? We're not reading out of the Hebrew. But uh, I, uh, the, when the pronouns are supposed to be capitalized, I kind of like that. That helps me. And, and mine says, do not have other gods besides me, and it's capital N. I also noticed, did you notice in your translation, when it says gods, it's lowercase g. Have you noticed how important that is in life? Whether you get it lowercase g or uppercase g. I knew you did. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for a chance to look at something that's very familiar to many. I pray that it will be fresh for us. I pray that we will renew and be refreshed in understanding what it means to follow and worship the one true God of the universe. So we thank you for today. May we be receptive. In your name we pray. Amen. Do not have other gods besides me. Now, it makes me think about rivalries. I want you to think about rivalries for just a moment, okay? There are sports rivalries, right? Some of you actually care about the Super Bowl this year. I see you back there. And some of you don't, all right? But there's rivalry. It, not so much professional. In sports, man, I've seen it. Collegiate rivalries, unbelievable, right? 
I mean, UNM and New Mexico State, they behave badly sometimes. I've heard that Alabama is the worst in the nation. Anybody from Alabama? If you're, you're either uh, Roll Tide or you're War Eagle, okay, that's Auburn or uh, Alabama, and it actually splits families up. So we see rivalry there. We for sure see rivalries, and we will this year, in politics. Wow, we see it every day, don't we? We see rivalries in schools sometimes. Well, I go to this school. I go to that school. Well, you're our district what? Member? No, district rival, okay? We see it even in states. Listen, I was born in Texas, but I got out of there as soon as I could. I was two years old, all right? So Texans, be careful. Everything, let me help you. Everything is not bigger in Texas, I'm sorry. Okay? You see how we're going there already, all right? And of course, us New Mexicans, we want to have rivalry with other states, right? When we say red or green and they don't know the answer, we get upset with them like how... But they don't know about chilies, do they? All right, so we do all those things. Rivalries, rivalries, rivalries. But God is clear from the start right here with his top ten that there are to be none but him. No rivalries. A more little, literal translation of do not have other gods besides me would be this. You shall have no other gods in my sight. Literally, you want to know what it is? Literally, you shall have no other gods against my face. Now, that's not perfect English, but that's descriptive, isn't it? None of them against my face, in my sight, before me. God is not to be first among many. I thought I might get an amen today. Come on. you got to get warmed up. God is not to be the first among many. Amen. He is to be the one and only. He is to reign without rival. He is to reign without rival. So let's set, set the stage. We read verses 1 through 3. 1 and 2 are rich, and we need to look at verses 1 and 2 before we get to verse 3, which is number one commandment. So let's set the stage here. I want you, I think about five things here. I want you, first of all, to see God's existence. When we began to read, did you see God's existence? All we have to do is look at chapter 20 and read, Then God. Stop. Drop the mic. Look at it. Then God. God exists. God created the world. God gave his commandments to the people he had created. So we need to not just read right on through to get to commandment number one, but we need to read the words, then God. You see, by having the words, then God, written down, we see what? The existence of God. It is declared. His existence is not argued. It's not debated. Okay? Paul does those things sometimes with his run-on paragraphs later on in the New Testament. But right here, it's then God. That's it. His existence is not to be debated or argued. There is no attempt to prove it. God himself is the person who worked out and spoke the Ten Commandments. God himself is the source of the Ten Commandments. God himself, with his e eternal existence, is the basis of the Ten Commandments. Remember Genesis 1-1 for commentary. What, how does it, the Bible start out? In the beginning, what? God. Stop. You don't even have to say created and all that. In the beginning, God. How about John 1-1? In the beginning was the Word, capital W. There it is for us to see. Remember God's existence. Then God. But let's go further. Then God what? Then God spoke. 
So we, we see not only God's existence here, but we see God's word. And let me tell you something. It says God spoke. Do you know what that word spoke means? Spoke. That's <laughs> what it means. What it means. Listen, even to this very day right now, God speaks to people. Now, I've not heard God speak out loud, okay? I'm, I'm a little leery of people that say that, all right? But years ago, a guy named Stephen Lawson told some of us young guys, you want to hear God speak out loud or audibly? Do you know what he said? I'm going to do it for you. Ready? Okay. He said, stand up, open your Bible, read it out loud, and you will hear God speaking audibly. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? God's word is available to whom? To all of us, to anyone, right? That's why we're working so hard, many organizations, to get God's word translated into every language and dialect on the planet. We work on that. Listen, God speaks to people. What a glorious truth that is. He speaks not just to people, but he speaks to us. He speaks to me. And despite our rejection of him, despite all our denials, despite our uh, rebellion, God cares for us. And because he cares for us, stay with me here, it's logical. What? He has communicated with us, telling us how to live. The only true and living God has chosen to speak in those days past and today to speak to us in a way that can be clearly understood. Let's not miss that. It's not mystical. It's not magical. We can clearly understand what God means when he speaks. Praise the Lord. We live in what? Post-New New Testament times. And if we're saved... The instant we're saved, we're sealed with God's Holy Spirit. Remember, before Jesus left earth, he promised what? Would send the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit helps us to understand and helps us to, to have things explained to us in a way that only he can. What an awesome truth to know that God spoke. How has God chosen to speak, though? Two things I want you to think about here. First of all, he has chosen to speak through his written word, the Holy Scripture. I just demonstrated that for you. Secondly, though, he has chosen to speak through his living word. Who might that be? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. You see, God has declared his word to us. But it's more than just speaking. Yes, it says, then God spoke, but it's more than that. God has seen to it that his law, his instruction manual, he has, it's written down for us. So he has spoken and given his law in the most permanent way possible in written form. Now, is that true? Is that permanent? Okay, just send out an email or just post something online and see if it's permanent. If you messed up, guess what? It'll be there until Jesus comes back. Have you written anything down and never had it come back to haunt you? We see it all the time, don't we? These things that happen, yes. Then God spoke. Well, let's go further. Look what he says. Then God spoke all these words, and he says, I am the Lord. Let us see God as creator. I am the Lord. Now, you should have capital L-O-R-D. Do you have that? Caps there. And we know what that means. That's the English translation of the Hebrew, Yahweh. And it can be rendered this way. 
And it was back in Exodus 3, verse 14. You remember the burning bush and Moses? <coughs> Excuse me. It can be rendered this way. I am who I am. Or as Popeye would say, I am. I, no, he wouldn't say it that way. I am who I am. Think about it. That's it. He is creator. He is Lord. He is a big deal. Yes, he is self-existent. He is eternal. He is sovereign. He's always in the present tense. I am who I am. Well, wait, what does that mean? No, that's what it means. God's very name means that he is the source of all being, that he created us, that he loves us, that he saves us, that he delivers us, that he redeems us, that he reveals and unveils truth to us, and that he reveals not just truth, but the truth of God and of the world to us. Wow. He spoke all these words, I am the Lord. See, God is creation. We're almost there. Next, I want you to see God's relationship to people. He says, I am the Lord, what? Your God. Did you catch it? Not only is God the creator, but he's also the covenant maker. Did you ever think about that? He is our God. It says, I am the Lord, your God. He's not an impersonal superpower or force. As much as I love Star Wars, I didn't get it quite right. He's not a force. He's not some grandpa in the sky that has nothing to do with us. No. He has a relationship with us. He is our God. He is a person who longs to have a personal and unique relationship with his people. Let me tell you something. If you're here today, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe it's been, it's been a while, or maybe you have been here often uh, and you're searching, know this. This God, the one, the only one and true God, is seeking you out to have a relationship with you. Not the pastor, not the Sunday school teacher, not your mama or your daddy, not your best buddy, your BFF, none of those kind of things. Listen, God, the creator, it blows my mind, the creator of the universe is to be our God. I am the Lord, your God. He's seeking to have a relationship with you. And if you have a relationship with the Lord and it's a little stale, he is ready to freshen that up. Confess sin, get right with him, spend time with him. He is the God of relationships. Isn't that great to know? And I see a bunch of heads nodding out there. You know, you experience this and you know. So see God's relationship to his people. And finally we see, I am the Lord your God who did what? Who brought you out of Egypt and slavery. Well, wait a minute, Lamar. I wasn't in Egypt. I've never been to Egypt, slavery. I understand that. See what it meant to them. Understand what it means to us because we can see God. We're not dumb. We can see him as rescuer, can't we? We can see him as redeemer, the one who redeems. It's God himself, no one else. God himself rescued Israel from the evil place of bondage, the land of Egypt. Do you remember the plagues? If we have time next week when we talk about idols, I'm going to talk about the plagues. And you're going to see how they go up against those gods of Egypt and other places. It's quite interesting, if I have time. If I don't, you have to just study that on your own, okay? <laughs> He's the one who rescued. God is the one who gave us the top ten to guide us. So just as he rescued and redeemed them from the evil place of bondage, the land of Egypt, of slavery, he does that for us today. He, he, 
he uh, guides us amid the evil of this world, the lawlessness that we find in this world today. Each of God's top ten helps us. All right, we've set the stage. Let's look at verse 3. Number one, do not have other gods besides me. The first commandment is very clear to me. Is it clear to you? It's not suggesting that there are other gods. You see, there is no room for henotheism. Have you ever heard of that word, henotheism? It'd help if I'd say it right. Have you ever heard of it? That's maybe a new term for you. Let me tell you what that is. That belief claims that there are many gods, but you must give your God first place. Do you see the error in that? Almost looks a little good, but it's not, okay? There's no room for that. This Mosaic covenant clearly presumes a word that we probably know. It's called mono-what-theism. Do you know that word? Monotheism. You can probably figure that out, right? What does that mean? One, God, capital G, yes. There are no gods but Yahweh. There is only one supreme being in the universe, and he commands us. That's amazing to me. Some people get all upset at commandments. I'm like, dude, be happy. The supreme being of the universe actually cares about you enough to tell you do this, don't do that. Wow. Let's just follow that. How about that? That would be awesome. You see, in the ancient Near East, go back in time with me and think about the people. Think about what was going on. They had many stories about how the universe came into being. Have you ever studied that? Do you know about that? They had all kinds of stories. And they all had little G gods. Okay? They, they, they always involved gods fighting. You know some of those stories? The gods are fighting. Or there was a god and a goddess, and they were procreating. Or there was one god slaying another god. And even this, have you heard this story? They slay the other god and made the earth out of his carcass. It's out there. You can go look. It's just crazy. That's not what God says, the God of the Bible says. So let us join with John Dixon in saying it this way. Here's a quote. Monotheism is not just the Bible's first commandment. It is the Bible's first thought. It was revolutionary for the people of the ancient Near East to hear. Do not have other gods beside me. There is one God. That blew away all their stories, all their narratives, all the ideas that they had. You can pick, pick whatever culture you want back in the day. N none of it equates with what we're talking about here. Now let me talk about Israel for a minute. Can I do that? Not right now, but back then. But it applies today as well. Israel had a peren perennial problem. Are you aware of it? Here's another big word. Syncretism. Have you heard of that word? Syncretism. If not, I'm going to give you the definition, and you're going to write it down, and then you'll know what syncretism is, okay? Syncretism is simply this, the blend of different faith systems. could be other things, but in our case here today, the blend of different faith systems. Have you ever met anyone that took a little bit from here and a little bit from there and a little bit from everywhere else, and you walked away, and you used a Hebrew term about that person, and you said, he is straight up messed up. Yeah, synchronism. So Israel has this perennial problem, and if you look at them journeying where they were in Egypt, where they're going to go eventually, they're going to wander in the wilderness, they're going to go to the promised land, they're going to deal with all these ites, aren't they? The Hittites, the Amorites, 
the parasites, all those kind of ites. They're going to deal with them over and over and over again. And synchronism, the blend. Let me grab a little bit from here. Let me marry this person who worships this God, and we'll just put it all together and see what happens. Hmm. They were constantly tempted, maybe this will help you, to make their faith a both and faith. Think about it for a minute. They were always tempted to make it a both and faith. But yet God insisted on what? An either or faith. Do you see the difference? What is God saying? Either it's me alone or it's not me at all. No both and. Let me illustrate for you. Joshua, remember him? He comes later. He had to exhort the people at Shechem. Joshua 24, 14 says this, Therefore fear the Lord and worship him in sincerity and truth. Get rid of the gods your fathers worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and worship Yahweh. The leader after Moses is having to get on them. Syncretism. Get rid of They still hadn't got rid of some of those Egyptian gods. Elijah comes on the scene and he proclaims at Mount Carmel. 1 Kings 18, 21, 1 Kings 18, 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two position, opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, remember that God? If Baal, follow him. And it's instructive to see what it says in verse 21. But the people did not answer him a word. Why? They were stuck in syncretism. And then Jesus reminded his followers, Matthew 6, 24. You might remember this from our study on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, no one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Well, let me tell you something. Today, followers of Christ still have problems with syncretism. Oh, come on, Lamar. You... You don't know me. Listen, this is who we are, folks. We want the Lord and money, right? Come on. Syncretism. We want the Lord and social respectability. Syncretism. We're happy to have God in our lives just so long as he feels only a part of our lives, right? Let me add Jesus' this equation. It's great. Jesus, just don't mess with this over here. I kind of have this thing figured out. I like how it's going. But that's not how he works. Remember this. The other nine commandments speak of acts that we should or should not do. But this first commandment orders a certain kind of relationship with God. And it is an exclusive one. I know of no other way to say it. It's exclusive God. Well, let's move on. Number three. There's a deep problem in the human heart. It's already been mentioned in the service. And we'll get into it more next week. But there's a deep problem of the human heart. It's been said, have you heard this? It's been said that human nature is like an idle factory that operates constantly. I like that. Our human heart is like an idle factory 24-7 cranking stuff out. So this first commandment addresses the deep problem of the human heart. What's the deep problem of the human heart? It's idolatry. Maybe you don't have a Buddha sitting in your living room. That's not the only kind of idolatry that there is. I want to tell you something about sinners. Are you ready? I'm a sinner. Anybody else a sinner in here? Let me tell you something about sinners. We've got to be careful. Everyone is a worshiper of something or something. Something or something. That's how God made us. So we've got to choose what it is. Okay? Maybe for you it's one of the three F's. 
as we think about idols. Do you know what they are? Family, that's your idol. Food, football. <laughs> oh, I'm not done. Maybe for you there's another three F's. Friends, finances, foolish fun. I could keep adding F's, couldn't I? We could go on and on, and then we could move to the H's or to the J's or whatever, and we could see idol after idol after idol. Listen, here's what idolatry is. It is putting someone or something else in the place of God. That's it. It's that simple. And we do it. Listen, a number of us this past week did it a little bit, and we had to confess of that. And God had to Get us lined back up. It happens. The Heidelberg Catechism. We make fun of those old documents, but the Heidelberg Catechism defines idolatry in this way. It's awesome. Having or inviting something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God, which has revealed himself in his word. You see, idolatry is an exchange. It is exchanging the glory of the creator for the creation, leading to a life of ignorance and moral corruption. Where does that come from? We know. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Idols are not just pagan on pagan altars, but they're in the hearts of people. Read Ezekiel 14 sometime. Read Galatians 5, 19 and 20, and you'll see where idolatry, we're not just thinking about some wooden or carved image, but we're thinking about what's sitting on the throne of our heart. It is the deep problem of our hearts. And God's people were tempted by the beliefs of humankind. Well, what are the beliefs of humankind? Religious systems made by humans for humans. That's always the problem with the system. Hear me. Some systems are better than others. Some isms are better than others. But you can't worship the ism or the nice little box that you fit all your beliefs into. You cannot do that. Why? Because religious systems, just look at the New Testament... Look at the Old Testament. They're made by humans for humans. What we want is what is made and spoken and written down by Almighty God, the one true God. And that's what our system should be. We are tempted as well by these. Why? Because they're selfish. They're easy. Easier to follow that than follow God sometimes, right? Convenient, indulgent. Well, more on that next week. Let's move on. Point number four, the commandment transposed by Christ. Do you know what transpose means? Do you know how to transpose music? I forgot. I was going to make sure the piano was on. I was going to run up there, and I was going to play the first line of Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, right? Okay. Did you know you can transpose that? Uh, 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 amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It's the same melody, it's the same music, but it starts in a different place, in a different key. It's been transposed. Are you good with that? Do you understand that? I want you to think about the commandment transposed by Christ because Jesus does something amazing to these Ten Commandments. Listen, I'll hear it this morning and I'll hear it to come. Those aren't for us. We live under grace. We're New Testament people. Listen, Jesus has transposed them and it's even more so in our case. It's the same score, but now, yes, it's in a different key. And here's the idea I want you to get. If you don't know Jesus, you don't really know the one true God. How's that? That's even tougher, isn't it? 
Okay, New Testament believer. It's even tougher here. It, it, it changes everything. When you think about God being one, well, this New Testament, James 2.19, he writes this, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. So there's a little context. And then we read 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. That's Jesus. Do you see how he transposes things, maybe even transforms things? 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, it's capital O, that is in his, here's the definition, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves against idols. Well, back to Exodus 20. On Mount Sinai, God says, Worship me only. Listen to my rules. Could we paraphrase it in that way? I think we could. Many years later, though, there's another mount. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember that? And at the Mount of Transfiguration, when all of a sudden Jesus is glowing, right? Special effects, awesome. God says this. Look it up. This is my beloved son. Listen to him listen to him Mount Sinai listen to my roles rules regulations all that stuff Mount of Transfiguration Jesus he's God listen to him for us today to obey the first commandment we must worship the one who has paid the price for our sin Jesus do you see how that's different than other faith systems do you see how we can't allow syncretism to sneak into our life? Listen, Christianity is very exclusive. I love when someone comes to me and said, well, there's not a lot of tolerance there. And I go, bingo, you're right. There's no tolerance there. It's Jesus or nothing. Can you get it? Come on, hello, McFly. Do you get what we're saying here? You young folks, that was a Back to the Future reference. I hate when I do that because uh, I, they're over, the kids, teenagers are like, what? Yes. Think about it. He transposes all of this because he paid the price for our sin. As I close, I want to give you a quote, and then I want to give you four questions that I want you to jot down. From a schol one of the scholars, Dr. Guthrie says this, if you find yourself beginning to love any pleasure better than your prayers any book better than your Bible, any house better than God's, any table better than the Lord's, any person better than your Savior, anyone better than your soul, a present indulgence better than the hope of heaven, take alarm. He's saying, check yourself. Check. Watch out for idolatry. Watch out for doing things that would water down the fact do not have other gods besides me. Four questions. Kevin DeYoung gives these four questions which are very helpful to me. You might want to jot them down. Number one, whom do you praise? Jot it down. Whom do you praise? This is homework. 
Well, what do we mean by that? Well, you may compliment others. We do that, right? We may praise others. I praise our worship leaders. Thank you for leading us, right? We may praise a child for getting a good grade or for doing or actually obeying, <laughs> right? Or we may pray a lot of different things. Listen, you may compliment others, but what is the idea of this? Whom do you praise? But who receives your highest praise? That's where we run into trouble. That's where we can't keep this first commandment. Is your higher praise reserved for anything or anyone besides the Lord your God? Question number two. Whom do you count on? Whom do you count on? This is a hard one. Maybe there's some guys out there like me. We're pretty self-sufficient, right? I'll fix that. Come on, guys, right? As our wives roll their eyes and say, I don't want you to fix it, stop. And maybe they might say, by the way, you don't always fix it so well, right? But who do, whom do you count on? Yes, God works through doctors, right? God works through various things. We have insurance uh, that comes. We count on that, all kinds of stuff. Many of you have a, a pension or a retirement. You're counting on that, right, each month. You, all those kind of things. But when you're in need... Who do you know that will always come through? It better not be your insurance policy. It better not be your retirement account. It better not be that doctor or specialist that you waited nine months to see. Listen, we must count on God, the one true God. That doesn't mean we don't have all those things. Of course we do. God, God never said that be a Christian and then you're dumb. No. Whom do you count on? Number three. Whom do you call for? Whom do you call for? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, where do you turn for purpose in your life? Where do you turn for joy? Where do you turn for answers? Is it a substance? Is it a chemical? Is it a thing? Is it a person? Or is it the God of the universe, creator God? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of and you fill in the blank. Whom do you call for? Fourth question, whom do you thank? Whom do you thank? What is the source of your good days? Is it that bonus you got at work? Is it that team that lost the Super Bowl? <clears throat> Who's the source of your good days? Is it the cooing little baby, the grandchild, the great-grandchild? Or do you thank Almighty God? Do not have other gods besides me. We must get that right. It's as if God wrote that on February 4th. 2024 isn't it it speaks to us and we have confession to make today church no we're not a cult no we're not doing this or that but listen we have confession to make because all of us have little idols in our life all of us it, the bible says it's a narrow way and when we kind of get over in the bar ditch don't we on this side and then on that side so we have confession to make today god i ask that you'd speak into lives today that confession would be made for believers, for followers of Christ. 
that for those who are searching today would realize the search can be over. There is a one true God who desires relationship. God, for others, maybe they're considering being part of a church family. Would you speak into their hearts? Perhaps today with the four baptisms, there's people in this room today that know that they need to get the order of baptism right, the mode of baptism right, believer's baptism. God, speak to us this morning during this response time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.